0: Of old you have laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established forever. Those are the last four verses of Psalm 102, which is the psalm appointed for today May the 21st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I am your host, John Green. Thank you for being with me today. We're continuing in our uh, daily lessons study. And today we have, as I said, Psalm 102, Jeremiah 31, 27 to 34, the first 20 verses of Ephesians 5, and then Matthew's Gospel, continuing in that passage that we had yesterday, Matthew 9, 9. To 17 so let's get started where let's remember yesterday we we talked about uh, Zechariah and the vision that he was given and the importance of when God gives you a vision ask him because he's giving you a vision but he wants to be there to see you through this thing he gave you a vision that you didn't understand and if you can't understand the vision then you can't understand how it's going to be fulfilled so it requires us to stay connected to him through prayer constant prayer and everything we do should be done because he told us to do it in order to get from point A to point B. Because he said yesterday, no, not by strength or might, by, but by my spirit. And so everything that's going to be done by his spirit probably is going to have a unique way of accomplishing something. It'll be something that 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 you would never have thought of in your own mind. And so it then it it reminded the prophet the the presence of the two olive trees connected to the lamp meant that there was a steady, constant flow of Uh, oil to those lamps, but only to the extent that they stayed connected to the lamps. So we've got to remember those things, that lesson as we go forward. And there are ways of staying connected to him. There's prayer, but there's also life, (laughs) right? I mean, it it really is. Our life is one way that we stay connected to him. And so here in this passage from Jeremiah today, God says, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. It's not going to be like the old covenant. It's going to be new and different he said it'll come to pass that as i've watched over them to pluck up and break down to overthrow destroy and bring harm because jeremiah is speaking to a to a people who to whom he has pronounced woes he has pronounced destruction he's pronounced god's disfavor with them and so now this is the encouragement part of it so i will watch over them to build up and to plant declares the Lord in those days they shall no longer say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been set on edge in other words that the sins of the fathers are counted to the children because the, the children are the ones who are going to pay the price for this down the road and because God is patient so he allows a lot but continually is attempting to call his people back to him but if they won't return then he ultimately has to punish them and so the punishment falls not necessarily on the generation that sinned, but on those who come later who are in the fullness of that sin. Is it their own fault? Yes, everybody's responsible for themselves, but the reality is, is, is that how did we get from point A to point R? And that is there were little, small compromises all along the way, and now the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever, don't know the truth any longer because they're so far from it and he says that day is gone though everyone will die for their own iniquity each man who eats sour grapes his teeth will be set on edge in other words it's going to be um he's going to be swift in um convicting and, and why do i say convicting and, and that's because that the holy spirit within us becomes the quickening force of our lives and to the extent that we're willing to listen to that Holy Spirit, to the extent that we, the Holy Spirit is indwelling, then we will know about that sin. He says, behold, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I'll put my law within them. And I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So that, that last line, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more, is, is actually the way he's going to write the new covenant on our hearts. He's going to forgive us. He's going to allow us to walk in the knowledge that we've been forgiven. And that is the message of the cross and the resurrection is that our sins have been forgiven. Jesus took our sins on at the cross and rose to new life because he did that, because of his willing sacrifice on the cross. And so we know that he carried our sins into hell with him where they're judged and then rose to new life and then ascended to the Father, the perfect spotless lamb, looking like it was slain. And that his sacrifice is accepted and he is raised to new life and raised to the right hand of the Father. And so we know that we walk in forgiveness, we walk in light of that knowledge And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives bears witness to that, and that's the way that he's written the covenant on our hearts and he's written the law on our hearts. It's no longer an external thing as was given to Moses. No, it's an internal thing. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us in all things, but we can't put it on autopilot and expect to be... Led by the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus didn't put it on autopilot. We see time and time again where he does this thing of getting away into a remote place or a lonely place by himself so that he can pray. Well, if Jesus needed that, how much more do we need that? And the thing that Jesus also constantly did was he was constantly speaking of the Father. He was constantly speaking of the truth and and giving glory to the Father in all that he did. He had one aim in life, and that was to give glory to the Father. And so every single thing he did all day, every day was with one intention in mind, and that was to give glory to the Father. And you can't do that accidentally, and you can't do that on autopilot. It's necessary for us through prayer and the study of the Word and worship and fellowship to do that. To the extent that we neglect the fellowship or we don't seek the fellowship, to the extent that we're not in the Word, to the extent that we're not firm in prayer, and to the extent we're not worshiping regularly, we're not going to be the people we're intended to be, and we're not going to get all the benefits of that. And the benefits include joy. Let's just start with that. I mean, joy is the first benefit, I believe, in in walking with Him. We have a joyous life because we have the presence of God with us. And then the other thing is we have wisdom that others can't attain because we've been walking with Him and we've been partaking of that wisdom in that fellowship with Him. And that's the, the point that Jesus always made. And here in this Matthew lesson, what we see is, is that he calls Matthew the tax collector. And we just dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. And so he, he calls Matthew to him. And the first thing Matthew does is that he provides a feast at his house, and he invites all his friends. Well, he's an outcast from Jewish society, so who does he invite? Tax collectors. And so he invites those people, the Pharisees are there, because Jesus is an important personage and they can be there. And Matthew wants people to see that he is hosting Jesus here because of what he believed about Jesus. And the Pharisees asked the disciples, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I guarantee you, they don't have an answer for that. They're wondering the same thing themselves, and Jesus answers it instead. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. That is our mercy and not sacrifice, for I came here to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus is there among them in the same way that the Holy Spirit's given to us to convict us of sin. And we see that again and again in places where Jesus is being hosted by someone that people are moved to repentance at that. Now, Matthew has been accepted and invited to become a disciple. What a powerful uh, testimony that is of God's love and God's forgiveness. He calls him away, and he leaves his tax seat no less than the disciples left their nets. But they wouldn't have had the same sense of being sinners, that Matthew would, because Matthew couldn't have turned right or left and, and found anybody to pat him on the head and tell him he was a good guy. He would have been an outcast among the Jews. And so what do you do with that? And so Jesus brings him into the inner circle, and in doing so, he is forgiven of his sins. The sins of not being a tax collector, but doing things the way tax collectors did things, which is extorting money. From people and taken more than, than their fair share and so Matthew is received forgiveness and the proof of that is Jesus's presence with him but it's before that is Jesus's call to him he saw something in Matthew that these Pharisees didn't see he sees something in all these people who are there that the Pharisees didn't see because they're judging by external appearances and then John's disciples come and they ask him hey wait we don't understand the Pharisees fast We don't really get along with them but but they fast and we fast so why are y'all not fasting and Jesus gives the image of a wedding guest who can't fast when the bridegroom is there so Jesus points to himself and says I'm the bridegroom you apparently didn't understand what John said when John called me the Lamb of God you all apparently didn't get this whole thing that john wanted you to get so there's no reason for you to fast because the bridegroom the messiah the one that was appointed and anointed is among you right now and you don't fast at a wedding feast and so he he then points and says nobody puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made So you've got to shrink that cloth before you put it on there because once you then wash that garment, if you haven't, then it's going to shrink while it's attached to the garment and it's going to tear that thing even further. And then the same with the wineskins. Those wineskins have already been stretched by new wine having been put into them and now you put more new wine into them or or different new wine into them. Then then as as the fermentation process takes place, those things are going to expand and they're going to burst. He said, "So no, that, that that's passing away. What you're doing is passing away. There'll come a time to fast, but this is not it. I'm I'm superseding all those things that you're talking about. The reasons for fasting and all that have been superseded in in me." And it's a powerful statement, and it's a, it's a statement that everybody should have understood right from the beginning what Jesus was saying and the claim that he was making as he said those things. Paul didn't get that right away. Paul didn't believe that. And so he was continuing to practice Judaism and reject Jesus until he meet, meets him on the road to Damascus, and Jesus reveals himself with a voice from heaven, and then Paul is a changed man. Because of that, and so here he, he comes in and says really simply, be imitators of God as beloved children. So it's not just to be imitators of God, but but you're doing it from the position of being beloved children of God. And so you want to be like the one that you worship, and that's the thing. We ascribe worship to him because we recognize him as superior to everything else on the earth. We can be People who imitate other people, and we certainly do that all the time, whether it's in mannerisms or it's in, in the way we speak, it's the way we express ourselves, all of those things tend to have been at least at some level derived from our experiences of, of other people. And so we, we can take on and adapt some of their mannerisms, and, and I, I see that all the time. I can see it in my son and my wife, for instance, there's certain things that our older son, Pelham, will say and do that I hear in his mother. And I, and I can't even remember because he's 30 years old. I can't remember which came first, the chicken or the egg and those things. But I can see it in myself in certain things that I do as well. The, the My mannerisms, the things that that I'd say, the way that I say things, can, can be partially an imitation of other people. And here Paul is saying, no, be imitators of God in your daily life lives in your conduct of the way you live understand that that he is perfect and he is holy and be imitators of him but but not sort of you know as as a a mimic would be or an impersonator would be nobody because you're his beloved child so you want to emulate your father you want to emulate the one that you love and that you worship because you recognize he is perfection. And so we try to begin to, to walk like him. And, he be, and Paul begins in that simple place that everybody should begin. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then he goes through a list of things like sexual immorality and impurity and co- covetousness and says, that, don't let that stuff define you at all never allow that to be part of you and he says don't let filthiness or foolish talking or crude joking be part of your daily life but instead let there be thanksgiving and and he tells him he says because if you do all those other things then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god and so he's calling us to holy lives and and you know that's hard because it's easier not to do that, right? Because it's easier to fit in. There's no present pressure to be different. There's a present pressure to be like everybody else. And so we can easily fall into that trap. I'm, I'm, you know, hey, I'm not claiming that, that I am um, some sort of a, a saint, I, I, but I'm, what I'm claiming is that I should be. Because Jesus made me fit for that, and if I value the kingdom more than I value anything else, like acceptance or the applause of men, then then I'm going to be different. And I'm going to stand out, just like Jesus stood out, just like Paul stood out. And so we're called to a different sort of life. He says, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. In other words, don't let somebody tell you that this stuff doesn't matter. Don't let anybody tell you that these things are not sin, he says. I want you to understand God has standards. And he says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true, and try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, and, and then do it would be the, <laughs> the rest of that sentence. If you find out what's pleasing to him, then do that thing, do those things, live that kind of life, find out what he likes. I mean, it's just what you would do if you were courting somebody, right? You'd find out what they like, and then you'd do that, and, and you would do that because you knew it would please them. So it's the thing that we do. We give people surprise gifts, mostly because we want to delight them and we want to please them, and we know it's something they would want. Whether we want to do it or not is an immaterial thing. We want to do it because we want to please them and be with them while they're being delighted in that. And so he says, just just stay away from all that stuff and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. And, And that's one of the things I think that we... There's a good way to do that, and there's a bad way to do that. It's a, it's The bad way is to focus on somebody else's sins to the exclusion that you talk about nothing else, and, and certainly I have known people who do that, who would talk about the sins of other people and expose those sins, and, and in doing so, there's a correct thing in that, to say these things are wrong. But do you ever notice the stuff that's in your own life? Do you ever deal with that? Do you ever talk about that? I mean, I had a congregation that had come out of the Episcopal Church, and we came out when, when there was a um, a gay, openly gay man who was the bishop, became a bishop in that church. And so we walked away from that and we became something else. And, and there were people that I knew in the congregations that I served who, who that was all they seemed to want to talk about. But they, they asked me one time, why don't you ever preach about that? I said, because I don't see anybody here struggling with that. <laughs> I don't see anybody here who that's a besetting sin for them. So I tend to talk about the things where we need to change, not talk about the things the world needs to change. Those things are, are, weren't even part of the problem in my church we had all kinds of other things but those weren't the things and so we the thing to do was to expose the stuff that that's going on that nobody's even paying attention to that they don't even any longer think of as sin and then expose that and then go on but but that's the way we need to be careful about how we expose sin we need to be clear about what's right and wrong but we need to focus and major on in our fellowship on those things that are a problem in the fellowship. Not we, we don't need to talk about other people's sins. We have plenty of our own that we can deal with within the house. And so Paul is very clear about these issues, about what we need to do and how we need to live as those who have received the Holy Spirit and those who are walking in fellowship with him and with others who are in Christ. And then we can begin to deal with When we can deal with our own sins honestly and we we can allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and to set our teeth on edge, then we'll become the force in society that we were intended to be and that Christ created us to be.